Hi, peeps. Help Me Be Me is underfunded and needs your help. If you enjoy listening to this or it helps you at all, please visit helpmebeme.com and click donate or visit me on Patreon. Thanks. Hi, everybody. It's Sarah May. And this is an episode for Jessica. Sorry, it took me a while. I was going to make it a power-up, and then I started researching, and then it turned into a full-length episode. So I hope this helps. Um, So this is on good stress and bad stress and how we cope. Specifically, stress eating. So anybody who hasn't heard already, I just wanted to announce that yaywithme.com is now officially, officially launched. So check it out um, and let me know any thoughts. So if you're listening to this because you have a roller coaster dieting style or you tend to go into an unconscious compulsive state when it comes to food, specifically when you're stressed out, uh, then I think this will be enlightening and helpful and um, it'll give you a starting place. It's also got some really uh, relevant information on the effects of stress and the difference in the kinds of stress, um, specifically the stress that's really bad for you and which stress actually helps grow you. So hopefully this will be helpful for anybody outside of food. As usual, there are three parts, the what, the why, and the how, the tools. Let's do this. So part one is the what. Eating in an unconscious fashion, usually during times of stress, particularly uh, fatty foods and sugary foods. So this eating will happen regardless of a need for food, and it usually ends in a state of shame and powerlessness. Almost like you can't stop, or you were totally unconscious when it happened, like you are outside of yourself, or watching yourself, or kind of just unconscious altogether. There's a similar thing called emotional eating, and that is when you eat during times of being emotional, just being upset, but it's similar in the results. You eat way too much and more than your body needs, and then you go into a shame spiral, and then usually it's followed by restrained eating or dieting. So both habits often set up a need to do uh, something that tries to overcorrect for the loss of control. So that's when we end up going into a pattern of dieting and then succumbing and then dieting. And that becomes kind of this catch 22 of you're not having enough calories and you're having too many calories. And the the catch 22 is that overall people who stress eat and then restrained, restrain eat, consume the same amount of calories as though those who don't control eat at all. So people that diet eat the same amount of calories as people who never diet, but it's just the evening out between the two two phases. Um, a lot of people confuse the stress eating for them them just having problems with food. Like a lot of people think stress eating is just... I love food, or I have a really hard time dieting and I just can't lose weight, or I'm not, I don't have enough self-control to stay, um, to abstain from foods, and therefore I'm in this roller coaster state. And other people who don't have that problem are just really good at control eating. 
And that seems like, of course, you would think that, especially when you are are you think you are doing what everyone else can do, and then you find yourself overeating. So if you have like a diet or a regiment that's going really well for a long period of time, and then suddenly it all falls apart, that will make you feel bewildered and powerless and frustrated, and it can make you suffer intensely. It can make you self-blame and internalize shame, and that intensifies this loop. So it can lead to depression, more stress, more dieting, and a false concept of your relationship to food. Even though you don't like the foods or the feeling you have while you are eating them or after eating them. And if you were to slow down the process, I think you would see that that's true. If you really focus on the food while you're eating it, it's not especially enjoyable. It's not like an actual um, meal that you really like the taste of. It's, it's very different than that. And even though you don't like this thing, like it causes you a lot of pain, you hate the results, you end up feeling terrible afterwards, you might think, you might rationalize that you are just, you know, a junk foodie or you can't motivate yourself enough to exercise. But that is, in fact, the result of the habit and you are just rationalizing it. You're just saying, well, this is just me. This is who I am because look at what I'm doing. Look at my powerlessness. So how... However you rationalize it, that is false because it is not you. It is an emotional chemical sensitivity that creates a chemical imbalance and one that self-perpetuates. And it's extremely powerful. It's like it's the equivalent of a heroin addiction. A negative loop that grows stronger with each repetition and the effect it manifests is uh, chemical dependency. So... As with all things that keep you trapped and keep you mystified, I want to start with some understanding, some education, so you can separate you from the symptoms that you are suffering from. Because you, when you are balanced, can easily stop eating when you are full. You, when you are balanced, can get excited about exercise. You can be capable of dealing with stress. You can happily choose to go running instead of eating or watching TV. The processes of play are powerful and chemical which brings me to part two the why this is not about the food or enjoyment of the food it's about the chemicals induced by the food and it's actually something your brain is doing to protect you from stress it's an attempt to soothe the stress hormone cortisol when there's a lot of it being released for a dangerous length of time aka chronic stress just to be uber clear Your compulsions are not related to the food. They are tied to soothing or resetting something that is harmful to your body. That is what motivates the act in the first place. Insulin makes you crave fat. High cortisol makes you crave dense calories to reduce anxiety and damper the stress response. So whether or not you suffer from stress eating or emotional eating is dictated by your particular coping abilities within your environment. Your body has discovered a way of a Attempting to cope with a situation, which is effective, and that is stress eating. The effect is relief. It's like your body has figured out a way to release drugs that you need for the chemicals, the stress chemicals to go away. So it's like you are a drug addict, quite literally, because the same chemicals are being released as the chemicals that are released when you do cocaine. 
if you are struggling, I don't blame you because this soothing habit creates an extremely powerful chemical dependence in the brain and the body because it effectively gives you relief from the stress chemicals. So I'm going to give you a really, really crude breakdown of what happens. Um, my apologies if this is too overly dumbed down. I don't even know if it's too dumbed down. Well, let's see. Here we go. <laughs> so think of stress like a giant fire drill in your body. And there are two key players in your stress response. One is called the HPA axis, and one is called your sympathetic adreno medullary system. And for this to sound cooler, I'm just going to call it the, I'm going to call the HPA axis HAPA. And I'm allowed to say that because I'm half Asian. And the other one is SAM. So there's HAPA, HAPA and SAM. So when you get stressed, both SAM and HAPA act to help you react and cope with the stress. HAPA is a fireman who gets a bunch of hormones to release via a fire hose, let's say. The most of port- important of which is cortisol. So normally HAPA has a hose with the cortisol, and a little bit of that cortisol will come back to turn off the hose spigot. So the cortisol will keep you keep your motor running on high. It suppresses your immune system, gives you enough energy to uh, react to the stress, the challenger. And it's supposed to be released and then turned off. It's supposed to kind of reset itself so that the hose is shut off. Because if cortisol runs too long, your organs start to break down and deteriorate, and you can, it's really harmful for your body. So there are all these other imbalances that take place. Um, it also, it fucks with your emotions, it fucks with your sleep cycle, your sleep cycle because it fucks with your hormones, and then uh, you store more fat, you have an increased insulin resistant, insulin resistance, etc. So Sam, Sam is like the bro of the two firemen, and he's all hopped up and aggro and like ripped, and he helps out with the stress response by giving you a burst of testosterone and adrenaline. So Sam also, because of the adrenaline, stops your food digestion. So together, they get you capable of fighting off the threat and confronting the challenging situation with the most energy possible. Your heart rate is high. Like, I could kill somebody. So those are these two key players. And the harm induced by the stress is dictated by two specific factors. Um, Or sorry, two specific... There's two different kinds of stress. And this dictates how harmful it is. So they call it threat stress or challenge stress. So when you experience stress as a challenge, but you are not experiencing it as a threat, um, it's way less harmful for you. It's just, it's, it's almost like um, the difference is in how you are perceiving it. It could be the exact same situation, but when it's a threat, it's extremely damaging for you versus when it's a challenge. So the way they tested this was with lab rats, and they are adorable. And I really wish I didn't see this because I was Googling to understand this, and it's really upsetting. I... We'll add a link if you really want to see these rats, but I don't recommend you open them because it's really depressing. They put them in awful situations. Anyway, 
The key factors to how we react to stress lie in several things. The predictability of the stress and the controllability of the stress and also like um, the type of stress. So it's, it's in part dictated by your genetics and your past experiences and the environment you are reacting to and its controllability. So what kind of stress is it, the frequency of the stress, the intensity, and the duration. So these dictate how you will be able to cope with that stress. It'll dictate your style. So you might be extremely sensitive to stress, or you might be completely handling it like a champ. And that is not your fault. It's just some of us have different genetic makeup, we have different biology, we have different upbringings, and our parents taught us a certain way of dealing with things, and all of these are are all adding up to be who you are and how sensitive you are to, to stressors. To quote another study, the value and meaning we assign to the stress stimuli determines how harmful a stressor is. So just to recap, threat, stress, that includes fear. So that kind of stress includes a feeling that we cannot cope with the stressor. When the threat stress, uh, when the, the stress threatens us, it includes something like public embarrassment or social failure or some fear of some downfall we perceive. It induces a fear for self versus challenge stress has a feeling that our stressor is is controllable, that we are capable of dealing with it, that it's demanding, but it's not inducing fear in our bodies. So the threat stress has an extreme, a much bigger response by comparison. So in short, if you experience your stress as threat, where you are fearful or you are emotionally distressed, you are way more likely to be a stress eater than if you experience it as a challenge. And that's because cortisol stimulates hunger and uh, feeding. But adrenaline shuts down digestion. And adrenaline comes with the challenge stress. Like when you, if you are a person that has challenge stress, then you are more going to be in an adrenaline state. And that's the reason that a lot of people eat less in times of stress. Um, because you're being driven by Sam, the aggro bro. So what predicts the way you experience stress? What predicts your, your stress type? Um, it is, has a lot to do with just the, the, your genetics and your life experiences and how you cope based on those factors. And um, regardless of that, you can learn better coping skills. You can actually grow the ability to cope with stress well, which is what we're doing right now. So why is this happening? It's your brain's self-protective mechanism gone wrong. Your brain is trying to protect you from the stress response by pushing you to eat foods that will release opioids. And foods sustain opioid release. It's actually a highly effective coping behavior because your brain is releasing what it needs. So, as a result, your brain gets really dependent on it. It could be easily something else, like cocaine or masturbation, but it happens to be food. And now, once your brain has found this skill to regulate the danger, it grows into an addiction. It grows reliant on it. And 
that's how it becomes a a negative loop because your body is empowering itself to stop the damage of the stress, but it's creating this other cycle because fatty foods release the same chemicals as cocaine in the brain reward system, which is why it feels like an addiction. It also makes you dependent on the reward center chemicals, which is like basically your, your body's natural morphine. So if you have this cycle, your body will literally go through withdrawals from eating lots of fatty, sugary foods. And this will even continue on past the, the stressful period. And that's because neurobiological adaptations uh, occur like your the shape of your brain changes the str- the shape of all of your canals in your body changes from repeated use of the drug called stress eating so the more you use it the more you'll increase in the compulsive nature of overeating another major predictor of whether or not you're going to be a stress eater is whether or not you are already a control eater or a restraint eater like meaning a dieter because this makes you way more susceptible to stress eating. It's the withholding of calories that in part sets up the downfall. So I'm not telling you this to make you feel overwhelmed or more fucked. <laughs> just want you to be aware of like all the mechanisms and how powerful they are. Stress eating also fucks with your emotions. It's tied to all sorts of things, not just your immune system, but your hormones, which you might experience mood swings, missed periods, decreased sex drive, not to mention the highs and lows created by the gushes and crashes of blood glucose. So you might find yourself in uh, just more incapable, like you're acting like an irritable baby. People who are, who are stressed have low level, a low level of something called NPY, and that causes a high level of anxiety. So people with PTSD and high stress have this. So when you uh, stress eat, you're actually eating to lessen anxiety. And basically stress stimulates your appetite and causes you to crave high fat foods more often and and increase your food intake. But it also makes your body less able to process it and the sugars. So this is how you get diabetes because your body is in the mode of saving sugar and also needing the sugar. You are getting hunger signals to your brain while storing unused sugars as fat. There's also research that suggests stress inhibits your right prefrontal cortex activity, which lessens your ability to think and control your food intake. So all in all, the stress eating is making it harder for you actually to think and control yourself. It's doing all sorts of things to disempower you. And if you feel powerless, no wonder. Because there's all sorts of chemical processes that are making you feel that way. Enough of the scary. I want to give you the truth of how to empower yourself in the face of this problem. Basically, you need to go all in on a solution that preempts it. So attack it from all angles. I want to offer you some help in the surrounding time uh, besides when you are in this state. So you might alleviate that symptom. So in other words, I want to tackle the chemicals overall, not just the stress eating. I want to tilt the scales in your favor and give you a leg up where you actually have access to your highest thinking. Because once you can build up a rhythm and be successful in helping yourself, you will start to gain a a greater handle on it. You will naturally 
tend toward the things that are healthier. It just takes consistent action, and eventually it just becomes natural. It's not this hard forever. And one day, this will be a faint memory. It will not be you. It will not be what you do. Your chemicals will be balanced, and you will just use something else to soothe. But you have to actually force yourself to practice another soothing mechanism in order to grow reliant on that instead of this. Because you will eventually become addicted to the healthier habit. But at the beginning, it's going to feel like it's forced. It'll feel like it's not going to work. It'll feel inconvenient. But it takes consistent practice. Like your, your body will actually say to you, I want salad or I really need to go running. It's not that you're different than other people. It's just what comes from creating a chemical um, balance and then also having something actually provide you with soothing for the first time. Like when it starts working, you'll actually grow used to it. Which brings me to part three, the tools. The how. Stress. Stress is irrational. I mean, for the most part, it, we are the ones who create fear and resistance to what doesn't have to be good or bad. We create a lot of it in our minds. And in reality, we can always choose how we want to react to a situation. But in the moment, we forget that because we are just being triggered. We are just reacting. And we are not in a higher place of conscious thinking, reflecting. That's why I want to empower you to have access to your conscious higher thinking um, before you reach that state of reactiveness. I want to give you some tools to dismantle the feeling from all sides. And first, I want to remind you that stress doesn't help. It doesn't help you prepare better for something. Like being really freaked out and obsessed about something doesn't make you better at solving it. If you're trying to solve for running away from something that's attacking you, yes, it does help. But I'm talking about the difference between fear and challenge stress. Like, if you are, you know, moving through it from an empowered place, that's not as harmful to you. But when you're freaking out and you have a very um, toxic relationship to stress, it's not helping you be better at planning. I know a lot of people think that, but it actually, it makes you in the dumber part of your brain. You need to actually treat it so you don't get destroyed by it. I hit, I know the difference in my own body when I hit that threat stress state. It feels very different and things haunt me. It's like I can't accept the possible outcomes and I obsess. Like part of me feels like I'm fighting it and dreading it and it feels, the quality of it is very different than the challenge stress. And when the challenge stress is when that's like an everyday kind of thing. When I when I'm in the challenge stress, I feel like it's almost like a high, like uh, you know, peak performance athlete kind of thing. So I want you to kind of examine that on on your own. What does it feel like for you? Do you have a really negative, fearful reaction to stress? Do you feel like it hurts you? Because that is really the most important factor for you to look at. So I want you to grab a journal. And as a first step, do a journal exercise. And just ask yourself, what kind of stressor are you? If you know you are a stress eater, that is because you have a higher sensitivity to stress. So if it includes something that might threaten your confidence, like you have a perceived failure or 
perceived uh, something will harm your social standing. That is in part causing the stress eating. So I want you to circle with a highlighter the times when this might be happening for you. So when you are fearful in addition to stressed. So here are a couple questions for you to reflect on as you journal. So I want you to start to separate in your mind from the actual voice of fear and anxiety. And I want you to start that by just getting to know the voice in your head. So ask yourself, what are my habits? Take notes on your work schedule. Notate the kinds of stress that you are coping with. Is it related to future risk or personal appearance? Is it related to perceived weakness? Note your inner monologue. Like, what is the feeling that the most stressful times gives you? Like, break down the ingredients of the feelings. How do you interpret the meaning of the stress on a personal and emotional level? And, and how do you feel about the actual item that's causing you stress? Is the reaction you're having out of scale to the thing itself? Like, do you overreact? Do you notice yourself having an extreme reaction? Um, and I want you to ask yourself, are you having an emotional reaction to these just everyday items or challenges? Like, are you having any irrational feelings that go through you? And are those feelings old? Like, meaning, are they tied to this old kind of childlike fear? Like, are they tied to self-worth or feeling you're not good enough? Or that you're a fraud, or are you afraid of looking bad, or of being out of your league? Literally write the fears down. What goes on in your mind? Is it a feeling of powerlessness, or like a dread of the future? Just narrate it as much as you can. And get a sense for when you are conscious and unconscious. Like when do you go into a reactive running full speed, freak out state? And how can you become aware of those moments? Like, when do those come about? What times of day? What situations? That's the journal exercise. Before I go into the tools, I want to talk broadly about what kind of change needs to be made. Because your solution needs to come with a complete perception of the challenge and and by empowering yourself in all directions. And that means more soothing, like a more pervasive state of calm. So meditation, running, sunshine, breathing exercises, before the balance has been tipped, before you are powerless. So in general, I want you to gather as many tools as you can to self-medicate and use them all before the trigger state has come about. I think the number one reason things like this have power is because we perceive ourselves to be powerless. We can't figure out a solution. And we blind ourselves. We think, oh, it's because of food. It's because I love food. And that's when you feel like you have no control. That's when you feel hopeless or like a failure. But that is why your solutions will come in the form of planning and holistic change in a healthier direction. Preempt it. So the change will all feel like you don't have enough time. It'll feel inconvenient. It'll feel hard, annoying, not you. But you have to prioritize it. There's always time if you make time. 
if you can affect the before and the after, uh, that's what you have to tackle. So I want you to be diligent about really taking practical steps to um, pervasive, pervasively create more balance in yourself. And don't just say that it's impossible. Don't just say, I don't have time. It's easy to say that it's all not doable. It's all impractical. Everything's impractical if you think about it. So commit to the change and eventually it will become easy. It will become your own thing, your own style, and it'll just be a part of you. You won't have to try. It will be something that brings you joy. In general, neuroses is self-perpetuating and it needs to be recognized and released. So when you catch yourself clenching or resisting or becoming too fixated on how hard something is and not wanting to change, those are the moments that you need to just relax and embrace openness. Welcome things that are new and try new things, try new methods. And that is how, you know, change happens. It's, it's just by trying a bunch of shit. <laughs> it doesn't happen all at once. It happens a little bit at a time. And it's not so hard or scary. It's very just going through the motions. So just commit to making real steps because healthy practices will help you get to a place of control and safety. And that's how real growth happens. When you feel safe, when you feel what you know where you are, you can use your own power. So that's why I want to help you take some steps to get you to a place of feeling confident. And that'll happen just by feeling confident in all these other areas of your life. So as a first step, I want you to begin a regular practice of soothing and relaxation in the form of exercise and something that is a practice of empty-mindedness. And by that, I mean meditation or yoga breathing and meditation. So it's basically effective because it allows you to control your brain and your thoughts via your physical body. And that means your brain, when it's going crazy with thoughts and driving you crazy, you can actually turn it off by utilizing a physical practice. And this is solely for the sake of staying out of the crazy mental state. It's, it's so you can damper the chemical soothing loop a tad. Because at this point, stress eating is happening almost unconsciously. So it's your job to self-medicate and set the stage for the best outcome possible beforehand in areas where you have some control. It's like planning for an attack. So that means scheduling time for yourself to get on the treadmill. It also means having consistent habits uh, that help you during the times you will be chemically taxed by stress. So I want you to start a daily first thing in the morning meditation practice. And don't make excuses. It is hard at first and then it's, it becomes easier. And there's always time to take care of yourself if you make it a priority. So something's got to give. Um. And because the reason I'm saying exercise is stress actually triggers your chemical centers. And so in order to defeat the stress eating loop, you need to take on a habit of doing something that replicates the chemical release process of stress eating. So it's less likely to happen in the first place. Because if you're stressed out even the tiniest bit, it's really important that you begin to replace that source of dopamine and endorphins before the loop begins. So that means running or dancing your ass off in a dark room with your headphones on. So you, what I mean by this is you need another drug source. You need it before your addiction takes hold of the wheel. 
So begin dosing yourself on a regular basis just to temper even the smallest bit of the stress hormone. And it won't feel practical, it won't feel possible, it won't feel like it works until you keep doing it as long as you can and you're consistent. And then it'll just, it'll feel awesome. Second, I want you to try and limit caffeine and alcohol. And additionally, if you can take a probiotic, that will help a lot, and omega-3 fatty acids. And in general, eat as many plants and whole grains and nuts and seeds and beans as possible. Lots of plant fibers. And past that, here are some specific tools for you to apply at various stages of, stages of this stress response. So tool number one, find a pacifier. So this is for in the moment. Okay, talk slower, Sarah. I've kind of already said this, but I want you to find a way to soothe the stress when you are in it and basically replace the trigger. So I highly recommend yogic breathing for this one. It works miracles. So just even breathing slowly in and out through your nose or um, try counting to five, holding your breath, counting to five, breathing out, counting to five, holding your breath out for counting to five. Um, additionally, doing inversions, anything that gets your brain below your heart, so like a forward fold or a handstand. Basically, you need to figure out something when you're in the danger zone that you can do when you are in your office or in the car or um, even at home. You need a soothing mechanism. And if, if there's anything you can do that involves exercise, I know sometimes that's really impractical, that is extremely effective. And if you can't do any of those things, have a tiny square of dark chocolate nearby because that'll actually give you a little bit of a boost um, of soothing to help you get to the next place that you'll, you can actually soothe your chemicals with some other form of exercise. Um, and in the moment you're actually trying to do this thing, like in the moment you're trying to do yoga instead of eating, it will feel like it's not going to work and you will feel like you are powerless. But you have to keep doing. It will feel ridiculous and it will feel like it's not going to work. But if you're consistent, eventually it will take effect. Just don't give up until it starts working. Tool number two. Change the ritual of stress. So usually in the, in the moment of feeling stressed out, we are reacting. We are actually unconscious. We're doing anything as a defensive tactic. So in order to choose higher and choose like in favor of what you want to do, you actually have to delay the reaction. You have, you have to do anything to slow it down. So this tool is basically in the face of the thing that's stressing you out, you have to change the ritual that you would normally enact by doing anything different. Just stepping back and choosing to zag just is a major first step. It's all about slowing down the time between the trigger and the reaction. So anything new, I mean literally anything, as far as you can get from the normal ritual. So for example, maybe instead of going home and watching television and online shopping, you will go to a mini golf course and play a round or two. Or you'll go to a park and make a wish in a park fountain. Use your imagination. 
anything new and anything that involves exercise, like even if you're like just going to some random place that you've never been before, like changing the situation and like what usually follows is a great way to just slow down the potency. That's number two. Tool number three, take a ride on the escalator. So this is a reference to that movie Soap Dish from the 90s. Um, Sally Field had a, like, basically what she would do to make herself feel cheered up was go to the mall on the escalator and then get recognized and sign autographs. She was supposed to be an actress, a soap actress. So I want you to do something similar. And this is unrelated to stress, the actual act of stress eating, but it'll help you be better at tackling it. So I want you to do something that you're, you know you will be good at or something that you were good at in the past and pra- take on a practice of that thing. So for example, if you have a really good singing voice, I want you to go to karaoke as a regular practice. Or if you are um, really good at drawing, I want you to take an art class where you get to draw. Um, anything artistic and expressive is a huge plus. Uh, but a class, some, some new habit, some new practice that uses something you are you can shine at something that will f- allow you to flex your muscles and make you feel like good at by yourself um and this is just a part of building a, a sense of confidence and power like the the more you can actually flex your muscles and feel good at something the more you'll have to bring to tackling this other thing and if um another alternative version of this tool is is trying something that you've never tried before that intimidates you, that does the same kind of thing in growing your confidence. The next tool is called the Usual Suspect Lineup. This is a tool for dismantling the confusing mess that is stress. So whatever your feelings are, name them. Whatever the fears are or the irrational expectations are, get them in front of your face on a piece of paper or speak them aloud. And as soon as you do, they immediately lose part of their ability to control you. And that is because they leave your subconscious and they become conscious. So describe also the place that the feeling is in your physical body. Like if you feel it in your chest, become aware that it is in your chest and deliberately relax into that part of your body. So this is better done in the earlier signs of stress. But if you are in that moment, if you're in that state, name them, call them out by name. Notice them, recognize the the common patterns. Um, There'll be some usual suspects. So the point is to expose them and know them and and expect them. Um, Okay, cool. The next tool, I think I have two more. Next tool is called Surfer Self-Talk. So this is, I love this. (laughs) I love this one. Sometimes if you just say the right things to yourself, you can calm yourself down in a way that's similar to another person who can comfort you. And you don't even have to believe yourself. Just hearing it will be effective. So I want you to talk to yourself aloud in the moments of stress and anxiety as though you are basically like the chill, calm, cool friend, surfer dude, who looks upon this as totally doable. So, I mean, literally talk to yourself like like a really even keel, competent surfer. Like, chill. Like, I literally say aloud to myself sometimes, like, chill, Sarah, chill. Or, come on, dude, you got this. Or, girl, let's get you to that sauna. (laughs) Surfer dude, talk. It works. 
So call these things out when you're freaking the fuck out. When you're looking in the mirror and your brain is too full of garbage to chatter and you need to change course. Girl, you got this. Let's go for a hike. Come on, bro. Dude, bro. Let's serve for self-talk. Okay, and my last tool is called room hygiene or workplace hygiene. So similar to those who have insomnia, I want you to create a workplace hygiene that keeps very strict rules for where your work needs to take place and where your eating needs to take place. So I want you to actually create rituals around the process of feeding yourself and working and boundaries. So you will not ever eat when you're in your workplace. You will not ever eat when you're in your car. You're not going to, you're designating zones as off limits. And this is easy to set up when you're in a rational calm place. And as soon as you decide those arbitrary rules are set, you will find yourself having to work around them. It just makes it really inconvenient for you to get stressed out and soothe unconsciously. And that is just a way to help slow down the chemical process. It's all about that delay. It'll also give you kind of some safe zones and a bit more um, control in the in-between. So food hygiene is similar in that I want you to make the meals you eat and the places you eat ritual and special. If you are going to, to eat something, cook it. Like take time and make it a deliberately elaborate process. And maybe decide you're only going to eat at the dinner table. Basically make it difficult for yourself to enact unconscious habits by making this practice very conscious. So in closing, I before I close, I should say, I want to thank my latest sponsors, Jeremy. Holy fucking shit. You made my day. The ginormous donation. And Sharon. You're also amazing and made me a day, my day. I not, did not want to belittle yours by any means. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate it so much. And if anybody listening um, has time to leave a review or share this with somebody um, who could use it, that is always greatly appreciated. In closing, you come first. Start acting like it. Even when deadlines are pressing and you need to have... Uh, whatever amount of shit done by whatever date, you have to have a structure to take care of yourself and one that keeps you in a functioning zone. So this is really about building a strict routine that you can stay inside that will keep your, your chemicals balanced and keep you at like peak operating level. So first things come first. Your stability is primary because from there you can be much more efficient that, that will help you work better. So this is all for the good of you holistically. Remember that rational equals happy. And not to mention, balanced physically means more energy. It means better sleep, clearer-headed, more effective work. I know that this is easier said than done from where you are now. But that is an illusion. Because you get to decide where you place effort and focus. And if you begin making that a priority and a goal, I believe everything will organize itself accordingly around that. It's pretty amazing how much is unnecessary. We create so much stress for ourselves and we are not helping ourselves be better at anything. But when it comes to things that stress you out, remember to embrace what is. It's not all up to you. 
You cannot know the future, and fear is the worst part of life. Just remember that you are but an observer in this life, and all you can do is your best. It's all you can ever do. You need your reflective brain for that. And that can't be accessed via stress. So try to take breaks from what you are dealing with because you will likely find that you are better able to solve situations. Like that's when you have access to the smarter, bigger thoughts. It's kind of like when you try really hard to remember something and it only arrives when you stop forcing it. So remember to let go of what is unwritten. Clarity comes from calm. And whatever happens, you will come out of this a bigger person. As long as you do your best, you've got to let the rest go. Just stay in today, which is where you are. And ask first, how can I best empower myself to approach today right now the most effectively? What do I need to do to be calm and healthy and happy? That's, that's what comes first. So I hope this helped, and I send you my love. And don't forget to smile. Thank you.